Welcome to Faith Seeking Understanding, a place dedicated to the discussion of Christian faith in 21st century life. C.S. Lewis said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. So join us as we endeavor to understand 21st century life through the lens of Christian faith. I'm your host, Alan Bevere, pastor, professor, author, and lover of Five Alarm Food. Come and seek with me. All right, friends. Well, good day. This is Faith Seeking Understanding. I am Alan Bevere, pastor and professor uh, and uh, other things, including a father and grandfather and also uh, someone who loves to seek. Uh, I'm a seeker. Aquinas said, I don't uh, seek to believe, but I believe to seek in order to understand. So that's who I am. And our, our interview guest today is Dan Hawk, uh, who we've interviewed before, and he's a seeker too, and he searches, and, and uh, he is the professor of Old Testament and Hebrew at Ashland Theological Seminary. He is an ordained elder in the United Methodist Church. He and I have been friends for many, many years, and I will say that uh, just so you know that of, uh, of, the certain, of the handful of people who have really influenced me in thinking about the Old Testament, Dan is right there at the top. So I just appreciate Dan. Dan, thanks for being here. Just appreciate you being here. Oh, well, thank you, Alan. It's, uh, it's, it's just great to have an opportunity to be on your video again. Your, your yeah. series. Thank you. Yeah, we're and I, I really wanted to interview you on something else, which we'll get to sometime in the future. But you were posting some stuff. Our subject for today is uh, is uh, the Bible and self-proclaimed prophets, and we've had some of those running around lately. And you've you've posted on that, and so I really want to uh, uh, to get into that. Before we do, I want to show you just in case. Uh, Dan is an author of several books. And uh, of which I have read, uh, I think most of them, and I'm going to show you three right here. And uh, his book, "The Violence of the Biblical God," is that that's your latest, isn't it? Yes, that's your latest. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you if you uh, are perplexed by the violence in the Bible and want to understand it, uh, I would recommend Dan books Dan's book highly. It's it's uh, been very influential. His his commentary on Ruth. Uh, I actually used it before we uh, ran into COVID in a Bible study uh, heavily. Your Joshua in 3D, I thought, was one of the most intriguing commentaries I ever read. Can you talk a little, a bit, little bit about 3D and what that means? Yeah, sure. Thanks. So I, um, I, am, I spent a lot of my scholarly career thinking about narratives, how narratives work, why we tell them, and particularly corporate narratives. So Israel's narrative, as we find it's particularly uh, in Genesis through Second Kings, and there rewind, and there's another narrative that begins with First Chronicles, but just how narratives work. Yeah. And about, oh, I'd say about 20 years ago, I, I started to think about the intersections between Israel's conquest narrative, its, its narrative of origin in the land, and what Israel was, was saying, the values that it was encoding in that narrative, its sense of identity. And I, I began to really uh, see some, some connections, some associations with uh, the American conquest narrative, our, our narrative of Western 
expansion, westward expansion, a lot of the same themes in our own narrative, national narrative of the United States, national mythology, this idea of, of uh, God is with us, God gave us this land, um, and, and God raised us up as a, as, as a people, a new people to establish uh, God's presence, God's community, God's ideal model community in the earth to be the, the platform for God's renewing work in the, in the world. So all of that in the American story, um, a lot of parallels I saw with uh, the book of, of, of Joshua. So yeah. wrote Joshua in 3D, actually with pastors in mind as a way of doing something a little different, telling you know, one in one dimension, telling the uh, the story of Israel with attention to how it uh, uses metaphors to shape a, a sense of national identity. Uh, second dimension, lifting out the theological themes and claims of the biblical text, and then in a third dimension, reading uh, corresponding topics, uh, yeah. corresponding motifs in um, the American national narrative of western expansion yeah and you did some stuff with the movie avatar at the time too in the book i did as i recall yeah yeah yeah, and yeah. actually I've, I've got a piece that's up on the web on an online journal where i i actually work with uh avatar and dances with wolves and little big man yeah i i have to tell you i'm i'm not a person to read a commentary from beginning to end i use it for reference but that was one book i started reading and, and just kept reading it i i wish a, i wish a publisher would do a 3d series in, in in books of the bible that would be really great so anyway but thank you for that and thank you for commenting commentary uh, commenting on it and uh yeah, it's, uh, it's some good stuff. I appreciate that. So let's get into the subject at hand, the Bible and self-proclaimed prophets. So we, we obviously believe as Christians in the prophetic tradition. We believe in, in uh, we have the prophets of the Old Testament, some of them writing prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, some of them uh, non-writing prophets, Elijah, uh, and the prophetic tradition is, is clearly strongly established in the Old Testament. And certainly I think in the, in the New Testament, I mean, Jesus, even though he's more than a prophet, he's still in the prophetic tradition. So as we get into the subject of uh, self-proclaimed prophets, and by the way, the reason we're talking about this is we've got a lot of people on, particularly people on TV, pastors uh, of, of, in a lot of cases, maybe not all, large congregations, who have become self-proclaimed prophets talking about God talking to them and this, that, or the other and predicting this or that. So to get in, to get to that, I think the question I first want to ask you, Dan, is what's the job description for a prophet in the Old Testament? What's the job description for a Jeremiah or an Isaiah? Well, yeah, thanks. It's um, as far as one can generalize. And there's, I think there's, there's a real distinction between the writing prophets, and as you noted, prophets like Elijah and Elisha, okay. uh, who are, they give really short speeches, generally person to person, and they're also, they do a lot of weird things, a lot of, there's a really strong supernatural element to their ministries. When we talk about the writing prophets, though, uh, we're really talking specifically about people who, on the one, they're, they're in between people, so on the one hand, they, they represent God to the nation, and they speak God's word to the nation. So um, 
when when you read the prophetic books, most of them open up with some kind of what we call a superscription, a description, an introduction to the prophet. A lot of times, where they were from, um, what what historical context their message came um, it came in. That's a way of saying. That's the way the biblical writers saying. If you really want to know and understand the words of these prophets, you have to understand the times in which they lived, how God was speaking through them to specific issues that the people of God were facing. So the prophets are, are, are in a sense, they, they function to, to help adjust people's vision, mm. uh, to, to align their vision with what God was doing, as opposed to what was happening and swirling all around them. So they gave that divine perspective. They would call people back continually to uh, the basics of the covenantal relationship with God, which is don't go after other gods, worship God only, and do justice. Create the community on earth that reflects God's holiness and order and, and aspirations for, for humanity. They, uh, they sp spoke word God's words of, uh, of advice and direction. So whether kings wanted or not. So yeah. for example, Isaiah in chapter seven comes to Ahaz and in the midst of a crisis and um, through the prophet, uh, God invites Ahaz to ask a sign and, and gives Ahaz some assurance and Ahaz isn't really interested. And God later in the same book speaks to Hezekiah in, a, in another crisis, Hezekiah listens, has faith in God. And so there's, there's that element. Uh, of divine direction, calling people back to divine to their obligations to God, providing this um, divine perspective, God, God perspective on, on what's going on. And then on the other hand, they're also uh, the people's representative to God. So they, they express the suffering of the people. They, they lament, so lamenting, as Walter Brueggemann has, has noted in a number of, of his works, lamenting is, is a fundamental prophetic practice in various ways. And they also represent God by way of intercession, prayer. Uh, when, when God is um, intending to, to bring some uh, cataclysm, some, uh, some act of judgment upon the people, uh, You'll, you'll see instances in, in, in the prophetic books where uh, the prophets will intercede and, and essentially say, God, please, um, please don't do this. Please don't do this now. And um, in a number of cases, God listens to the prophet and determines to not to bring that act of judgment. So God's representative to the people. I'm the people's representative to God in between. Okay. Okay. So we do know when we read through the Old Testament, there are false prophets. Uh, what makes for a false prophet? What makes for somebody who is not, uh, does not fulfill everything you just said? What, what, what makes for a false prophet? Yeah, that was a that's a question that that ancient Israel was deeply concerned about. Um, there's a very simple answer in the book of Deuteronomy, 
mm. in chapter 18, which talks about prophets. And Moses says very explicitly, if God speaks through a prophet, you must listen and you must, you must obey. I mean, it's very strong, very emphatic. And then asks, a in a sense, puts a question in the people's mouth. Well, well uh, how are we supposed to know if somebody is a prophet? Yeah. Well, and the answer is, uh, when God fulfills what that prophet says, you'll know that that person is a prophet. Simple enough, right? Okay. <laughs> you might you might have caught the catch. I uh, yeah, and so a prophet then speaks the truth, and when a prophet says this will happen, it happens. Fair enough or too simplistic? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's the way Deuteronomy puts it, but but there's yeah. a there's a kind of a catch in that. I mean, if I am responsible to obey and respond to the words of the prophet, but I don't know if the prophet is speaking for God until after what mm. the prophet says comes true. Um, what am I what am I to do while the prophet is speaking and I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, so there's a lot of, of literature that that there are a lot of elements in the old text in the Old Testament that, that flesh flesh out and think about um, how how to think about this more clearly. And Israel tends to do it in narrative form. Yeah. So uh, I, I'm thinking of two particular uh, prophets. Uh, first of all, there's um, there's Balaam. In Numbers chapter 22 through 24, um, the Bible devotes a lot of attention to Balaam's story. Yeah. Uh, and it, Balaam's a really fascinating character because he's got a reputation as a prophet. And the prophet, uh, the king of Moab, hires him to curse the nation of Israel who's passing through his territory. And as, as the story is told, he knows Yahweh. He speaks, uh, Yahweh speaks through him. Um, the, the, the king of Moab offers to pay him a lot of money to curse Israel. And, and he tells the messengers, I'm not going, you can't pay me enough hmm. to go against something that, that God has willed. So, but I'll tell you what, um, spend the night, <laughs> Let me talk to God and see what God says. If God says, okay, <laughs> then I'm fine. So there are all these elements there that you would think would demonstrate the truthfulness of a prophet. It's so Yahweh speaks through him. Uh, he, he, he can't be bought. Uh, he, um, he, is, he, is, uh, he has some, some sense of, I'm not going to speak anything that God hasn't given me to speak. Uh, but the messengers come back a second time, and he goes with them. And there's a there's an elaborate scene in which Balaam tells the king of Moab to erect some altars and to sacrifice some some very high dollar meat beef on on those. And and what that is 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 a 
an offering to God to try to get God to change his mind. So without going into a lot of detail, uh, that particular story points to the character of the prophet and how that prophet presents God mm. to people. It's, you know, it's as if Balaam says, you know, I, I've got a special in with God. And God has said, you know, that God is not going to um, curse this people. But I'll tell you what, let's send God some gifts. And I will go and see what God has to say. Hmm. I wonder if that I wonder if that explains why Balaam is viewed negatively through the rest of the scriptures. I did just a thought. I don't know. Yeah, there's the, the scriptures take him in in, in different ways. Yeah. So he's associated with Moab, and and uh, we don't find out till later falls in with the Moabites. So he's he's seductive in that way. And the New Testament looks at him and says, well, he, he, he just did it for the money. Yeah. So um, there are some things going on there. But, but yeah. it's this idea that, you know, the prophet has, has, has special power and special relationship that allows the prophet to manipulate. Yeah. Let's see if we can, this is what God says, but let's see if we can convince God otherwise. Yeah. Gotta, that, that is presumption. And that yeah. is that is the key criterion for a okay. false prophet. A prophet who decides, I'm going to see if I can get God to do what I want God to do by various means, because I have this kind of inside relationship. Wow. So so let's then. Um, is it fair to say? Now, I know some prophetic pronouncements are always conditional. That is, if you continue in your ways, this will happen. So there's yeah. there's a condition, there's something conditional about it. But right. is it fair to say that if a prophet says X is going to happen uh, and X does not happen, does that make them a false prophet? Well, again, that's that gets that gets into this tricky thing that Israel's working with about yeah. how to assess fulfillment. Okay. So uh, there's a, there's another instance, it's in the book of Jeremiah and the book of Jeremiah is, is shaped to present Jeremiah as something of the quintessential prophet. He is the model prophet uh, because Jeremiah spoke God's word. He never changed what God told him to say. And even when it made him unpopular, he kept going. And there's okay. a there's a whole section of Jeremiah that the uh, the, the great Old Testament scholar Brevard Childs uh, recognized was it, it's in chapter 23 all the way through 29 of Jeremiah that all of these texts are texts that in various ways help help the nation to evaluate people who are saying, thus says the Lord. And there's a, there's a particularly pointed encounter in Jeremiah chapter 28, where Jeremiah is in the temple and another prophet named Hananiah is, is prophesying what all of the rest of the prophets are saying, which is at that time that exiles, uh, the People who had been exiled to Babylon, this is prior to the, the destruction of Jerusalem, this is a prior exile, 
the, the people who had exiled, been exiled away to Babylon are going to come home. They're going to bring all of the treasure that the Babylonians had plundered. We're going to be released from the Babylonians. And um, good times are coming. God's going to yeah. come through. And, and he says, he's very specific in his prophecies, which would lead one to, to the conclusion that he's got a track record. I mean, if, if you don't really have a good track record, you're going to be as vague as possible. Well, when yeah, right. very specifically, and he gives a time frame. So, and, and all the other prophets are agreeing with it. So uh, he goes up to Jeremiah, who's been wearing a yoke because Jeremiah's message from God is uh, submit to Babylon. God has ordained that Babylon should be in power. Uh, all of this is not going to happen. And Hanani very publicly breaks that yoke. Hmm. And Jeremiah, for his, for his own part, actually, you know, he, he's, he had previously said, he said, well, you know, I hope you're right, you know, but here's, here's, what, I'm, here's what I'm saying. That prophets stand in a tradition. Mm. And all of the prophets before me have been speaking God's word and chastisement to the people. They've talked about judging. Um, so, and, and this is actually probably his interpretation of Deuteronomy 18. He said, but the prophet who speaks peace will be known when basically what he says comes true. Okay. So in a sense... The default mode of prophets was to bring this word of chastisement and judgment, call people back. The prophets who say everything's well, got good times are coming, may be speaking for God. But in that case, because they're in a sense standing outside of what prophets normally say. Yeah. Um, the, the, burden, the burden of proof is, is on them. And, and uh, when, when Hananiah breaks that yoke that he's carrying, Jeremiah doesn't defend himself. Um, he, he just leaves. Yeah. Um, he's not, you know, he, he understands that he could be wrong. Uh, and he doesn't lash out. He, he recognizes that, that Hananiah could be right. He's humble. Uh, he doesn't respond in kind. He doesn't defend his reputation. And that's Israel's way of saying, uh, look at the character of the prophet. Look now, at the character of the prophet, yeah. Look at the character of the prophet. Is this someone who is humble? Is this someone who is humble enough, even in a public situation, to be confronted? And just let God yeah. confirm who the messenger is. Hananiah is very aggressive in the, in the opposite direction. So it's... It is the case, and, and, and those who collected Jeremiah's prophecies and Ezekiel's prophecies also include prophecies that they said, each of them said, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, that didn't come to pass. Yeah. Um, which is a way of just, just reminding people who are thinking very deeply about this issue of discerning prophetic messengers, uh, look at the character, not particularly... Um, the particular things they say, because there is a contingency uh, in terms of 
um, uh, much of what God says, yeah. and some of it can be adjusted uh, mm. based on, on the response of the people. So uh, let's move into the 21st century with uh, a lot of the prophetic uh, self-proclaimed prophets, as I call them to, today. Um, and you struck several chords with me as you were speaking. Um, we've got, uh, within the last year to two years, a lot of self-proclaimed prophets who had uh, said God spoke to them. And that Donald Trump was going to win the election, and then and then he didn't. Uh, so, by the way, first let me say to those of you who are watching or listening to this, if you send me links to conspiracy theories about how he really won, I will delete them. So I just need to let you know that that I don't do conspiracy theories because uh, uh, Joe Biden really did win the election. But you, and by the way, let me also say, to be fair, that if there had been some prophet out there saying Bernie Sanders was going to win the Democratic nomination, yeah. I would have said the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. So, so we're not, I'm not trying to be partisan here. I'm trying to raise questions about uh, the self-proclaimed prophets who were so certain uh, and, and claimed that God spoke to them and that Donald Trump was going to win. Uh, these folks certainly have a following and they continue to have a following. Um, you know, I struggle with this. For, so, so, so let me say one thing, Dan, and then I'll turn it over to you. You know, I preached uh, maybe a month ago, the uh, Old Testament reading was from Deuteronomy, the Moses reading, Deuteronomy 18. And I said in the sermon that uh, I have never said in a sermon, God spoke to me, not because I don't think and hope that God speaks to me as I prepare my sermons or as I preach, but I'm so scared to death that I'm going to say God spoke to me, and the next thing I'm going to say is going to be wrong, and 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 that scares me to death. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. And and so what what do we say about these self-proclaimed prophets who not only have been wrong, but continue? Uh, to do their quote-unquote prophesying with people following. I mean, what what is the average person sitting in the pew to do with this? Yeah, that's that's a that's a really uh, complex question in a way. And and I I'm I might take issue in a way. Some of them uh, are not so much self-proclaimed as okay. functioning within certain charismatic uh, networks. Okay. So there are there are networks of churches um, that um, that uh, believe and, and teach that God is restoring uh, the fivefold ministries of, of Ephesians to the church, so that God is restoring prophets and apostles, uh, pastors, evangelists, teachers. Um, so that uh, and they and 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 they will have prophets in their organization uh, who uh, they will say operate under under apostolic authority or okay. um, so there is a in a sense a, a certain credentialing out of these uh, Bethel Church for example the new apostolic reformation Christian International to name just a, a few of these uh, and then you have you do have independent kind of um, prophets who are out there who have just gotten a following over the uh, the past few years 
there were profits in 2015 before the primaries that were uh, predicting that Donald Trump would be nominated. Uh, one particular prophet named Jeremiah Johnson actually said that he would be elected president and that uh, he would appoint three Supreme Court justices. Mm. So, you know, so, so the, the first thing to, to know is that some of them got this right <laughs> in 2016, which actually, which blew up their reputation as, as somebody that, that was hearing from God and speaking from God. Uh, and boy, during the, the last four years, um, you know, the, their presence on YouTube has just exploded. So now you've got all kinds of people on YouTube who, and they're all, most of them are saying the same thing <laughs> over, you, you know, over these last four years, there's gonna be a re-election. Donald Trump is for two terms. God's got a mandate. God is a Cyrus who, uh, uh, a non-believer whom God chooses like Cyrus to, to free God's people and restore God's, uh, God's people. Um, so, YouTube has, has really made it possible for not only these people from these networks, but just about anybody that has a dream, has a vision, and to, to put something up there and, and literally get tens of thousands of views. Yeah. Um, so there's a real mix of different kinds of prophets. Uh, uh, Jonathan Kahn is another one. Uh, he wrote the Harbinger and, the, and a series of books that were that spent all of all of which were on the uh, the New York Times bestseller. And he's a messianic rabbi who kind of takes you back into that persona of an Old Testament prophet. You know, there's a biblical template right now, and what we're seeing happening in America fits this uh, this biblical template in this way. So there's a there's just a real vast uh, diversity out there, but. Yeah, but they all they all pretty much agree on uh, the main message. Uh, so and, and that's one of the arguments uh, that was one of the arguments coming up into the reelection. How could all of these prophets be wrong? Some of them have been so right. And when when you are a viewer or what, when you are a follower of one of these prophets and they, you know, they they seem to, to predict what's going to happen. Um, truly, then, then after that, you're, you're dialed in. So what they say, I mean, is, 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 is the word of the Lord. And it's, so your faith begins to turn away, in a sense, from really being anchored in Scripture to really listening to what this new word, this new message, this new prophet is saying. Um, and... I mean, once once you've gotten into that mode, uh, whatever, because that because you're convinced this person is speaking for God, you're going to do it. You're going to listen. You're going to believe it. Yeah. Um, and it's a matter of faith. Are you going to believe God's messenger or aren't you? Wow. So here's my problem. I've been a reader of scripture for 35 plus years. You've been, you've been a reader of scripture for many years. Um, my 
frustration with a lot of the self-proclaimed prophets, I'm going to use that term, self-proclaimed prophets, mm -hmm. is that they are so untethered from the biblical text. So, are they untethered, or am I missing something? Well, they certainly have a different way of interpreting Scripture. Okay. Um, and their way of interpreting Scripture is to, in a sense, find some motif, some text, some passage, some persona um, that, in a sense, validates or explains what they think God is doing in the world or in the United States or in the church at this particular time. And then to make that make that connection. So they're really they're looking to scripture in a way to validate the prophetic word uh, by use of some really creative hermeneutical gymnastics, usually. So they're they're not really rooted in an under, I would say, in an understanding uh, of what prophetic ministry entails in Scripture. Mm -hmm. They're certainly not not speaking the the prominent themes of the prophets of the Old Testament. The 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 the, the, the insistence on justice, the insistence on um, uh, kind of economic and 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 um, equity and, and, and that type of thing. Uh, they, they've got some particular issues that they uh, are promulgating and they, they, they share dreams that they've had or people have, have sent them. They share revelations, they share visions and that's where they begin as opposed mm. to beginning with scripture and then trying to, you know, and, and using scripture and in a sense to interpret uh, what's going on and to, to think about that prayerfully and, and, um, and faithfully. They, they use scripture in a way to, to say, well, you know, here, here's, here's a, a biblical picture or a biblical text that explains and validates and clarifies what we're saying right here. It's it's mm. it's a different hermeneutic. It's a it's yeah. a different way of, of reading scripture. So that raises a question to me, and I've been thinking about this a lot the last couple three four years. And that is is part of the problem. You and I were both raised in an evangelical context, and expository preaching. You know, being tethered to the text in your preaching, which is all good. I, I don't I don't dismiss that. Uh, but the one thing is that we we have not interpreted uh, more specific context in light of the larger narrative. So, for example, just to give one example, you have the story of Solomon and his harem, et cetera, et cetera. And if you read that just specifically, you can come away with the idea that. Polygamy is okay, but if you read it in the light of uh, Samuel and Kings, uh, Solomon's harem is an example of the failure of the monarchy. So with that in mind, you know, as part of the problem here is focusing on specific texts and saying this refers to that instead of seeing those texts in a larger picture. 
Yeah, and I, you know, I, I want to say I think there's there there is some, in a sense, I'm I'm agreeing with you, and I think there is some, in a sense, validity of using scripture to you know motifs to explain and align our our vision with what God's doing. The problem is that that becomes the only way mm. that you interact with scripture. So, yeah. okay, um, there's 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 a real anti intellectual component to these prophets i mean this they you know they would tell you that that you you really need to um to zero in on head uh, on heart knowledge and not head knowledge you know listen to your spirit not your mind that that's a refrain that that i've often heard in in those circles so um so when you do that, and and when your your understanding, or your interpretation, uh, your your sense of what God is doing, becomes untethered from that deep deep grounding in this Christian intellectual tradition, which is is keen on understanding Scripture and and again evaluating, in this case using scripture to evaluate prophetic voices, they, they'll pretty much, I don't know how they do it, but they 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 pretty much, it, my sense is, um, don't spend a lot of time in scripture to to value, validate and evaluate each other's prophecies. They're, they're more into kind of witness of the spirit and, you know, prophetic track record and, and that type of thing. And, uh, and that just leads in, one that is untethered, when, when you know your your interpretation of scripture is solely, and even primarily, just using scripture as a way to validate what what you believe are God is speaking through this messenger or that messenger, um, you're you're going to be headed into some some really strange directions, um, and Christian history uh, is is replete with uh, instances where that has happened. People put their faith in somebody who they really believe God is speaking through, even in our, our, our and I'm not making direct associations, but even in our re recent history with David Koresh and Jim Jones and, and you know, when there, there, is a, there is a power to this that can pull people in. And, and when there is not accountability, when there is not a uh, a grounding of that experience when, when in a sense, um, all of that intellectual tradition is dismissed mm. as irrelevant or, as in a lot of the cases, antagonistic, uh, yeah. then, then you've got a problem. Um, yeah. then, then you are, I think, in danger of, of going into all kinds of error and, and strange uh, strange beliefs, strange practices. You can even whip people up into thinking they've got to overthrow the government or something. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, the other thing is um, <clears throat> I think about uh, uh, Jesus, a prophet is not honored in their own hometown or in their own time. I think about uh, Martin Luther King Jr. And I think a lot of us would think he had a prophetic message, although at the time it wasn't received that way. Um, 
I struggle because I think sometimes when we say someone is prophetic, that is language for, I agree with what they say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas, I mean, I've never heard anybody say, I disagree with everything she says. What a prophet. Mm-hmm. Right. So how do I discern in this time the prophetic voices uh, that come before us? Well, yeah, thanks. I think that's, that's, where, script, that's where we do have to be grounded in Scripture. Yeah. Um, we, we have to undertake a, a, an informed, careful, prayerful, humble uh, study of Scripture somewhat along the lines of what I was suggesting earlier. Scripture does provide guidelines for understanding prophetic ministry. Um, and, and, and that whole corpus of, of the prophets in the Old Testament is a, is a tremendous theological resource. Mm-hmm. And for someone like myself, who's just been immersed in teaching those, that prophetic literature for, for 40 plus years, I mean, you really see uh, how, you know, you, how, what, what they bring to bear and how, how powerfully they can, they can shape our vision of, of what prophecy really is, how it works, and how it, um, it can shape our, our perspectives. And on the other hand, as, as, as you noted, um, the prop, prophetic literature is also pretty illuminating on how easily and how quickly we, um, you know, we people of faith rise to voices that tell us what we want to hear. Mm. Because what the biblical prophets are constantly up against is an unpopular, um, uh, just rejected message that is, is prodding people to greater faith and obedience and to turn away from exactly the types of things that they, you know, the practices, the beliefs that, that they're looking to, to other prophets to validate. Hmm. Um, so yeah, I, can, I can see our society, I can see this present moment easily um, addressed and embodied by um, the prophets. Uh, and, and, and it's, you know, it's a key thing for us to be, to, to, for Christians to be thinking about. I mean, I subscribe to, to this idea that, that Luke and Acts together mm-hmm. are, um, want to present, Luke wants to present Jesus as, 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 as the embodiment of all of the, pro, all that the prophets has, had, had spoken of, which is why there's more talk about the Holy Spirit in Luke than anywhere else. It's why all most of the parables of Jesus in Luke are on prophetic themes of, of reversing, you know, the rich and poor and the power and the powerless and all of that, the basic prophetic themes. And so that Luke can prepare us in chapter two to see the church as a prophetic people, people who have been given the gift of the spirit uh, to, to be God's people in the world. So I think sometimes we forget uh, or we aren't in tune with with this profound truth that mm. that the church itself is a is it, it, it was intended to be a prophetic community. We all have the spirit. We all have the capacity to speak uh, at, at 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 God's. We, you know, and we need each other. 
and we need yeah. to trust each other. We need to listen to each other. We need to hold ourselves accountable to each other, not to dismiss each other, and to, and to be grounded in a, a humble, forthright, ruthlessly honest conversation about scripture. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So, um, gosh, that, that <laughs> I've got more questions for you than we have time. Um, so I struggle. So if I'm a person sitting in the pew, okay, I'm sitting there and I'm listening to my preacher week after week and this or that, and I, I'm reading this and I'm listening to that. How do I decide what is prophetic uh, as I listen? Because again, I tend to be drawn to the prophetic as something I agree with, but maybe it's something that really challenges me. How do I work with that as someone yeah. sitting in the pews? Well, it, I think it depends on how much you've bought into what these prophets are saying mm. and how, you know, to what extent you are willing to, in a sense, um, give them some latitude for determining how you see what's going on. So a, a lot of those prophets, and again, there were so many that prophesied that Donald Trump would be reelected to a second term. And those prophets are still saying uh, the election was stolen. Uh, President Trump did win. That's, that's the most common way of explaining why they got it wrong. Well, Trump did win, but there's all of this nefarious <coughs> kind of hidden spiritual darkness, deep state, Jezebel spirit, any that's, that's really hiding all of that. And one of these, one of these days, everything's going to come out. Everything's going to be exposed. I mean, if, if, if you, and you need to have faith, that's what the prophets are saying. You need to have faith so that God can act supernaturally. So the mm. first thing I, I would say is, is just to be, just to use your mind, just begin to, uh, to think some of this through. Um, uh, yeah, so go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah there's so begin to just just talk about this humbly with others and and go back to scripture uh, again they'll have their own interpretations but yeah but, um it's so important to be part of a community i can't say it enough and i know you agree with me um be part of a community that is grounded in scripture yep and yeah. in, in the life of the mind as as an essential component of Christian faith and faithfulness. Yeah, I sometimes struggle because I think some of this stuff is based on the idea that reason and the mind is somehow antithetical to what God wants. And I want to say, oh, wait a minute, God gave me my mind. I can think about these things and I can work through these things. So so let me uh, let me just uh, we're getting to time here and I appreciate your time with us, Stan. Um, prophets, do they speak to the nation state primarily? Do they, do they speak to the people of God? We know that we've got some opening chapters of Amos where Amos uh, turns his gaze toward all the nations. 
we've got the story of Jonah, but we have mostly prophets speaking to God's people. So do we need to start thinking about the prophets speaking to God's people, the church today, unless God and, and less of God speaking to the nations, America, Canada, whatever. What do you think? I, th I, th I think that's a huge topic for another time, but here's where I'm, I'm just going <laughs> to go with it. Yeah, it's it's tied up with the bigger idea of who is, who is the Bible for? Mm. Um, you know, the, the, the Bible's for the church. The Bible's for the people of God. It's, it, it's, it's our book uh, that is given to us to shape our understanding, to, to, uh, to understand God, to understand our place, our mission, our purpose, our meaning. Um, and so when you get into the prophetic literature, um, all of that literature was produced by Israel for Israel. It was produced for the believing community. I'm not in a position to, to, to say what God or is or isn't doing today on the international stage, how God may be intervening, orchestrating events. People wanna know about that stuff. And, and to me, that, that begins to verge toward divination and you know, kind of things that really, really uh, take us away from faith. But even those oracles against the four nations, which were a common form of prophecy all around the ancient Near East, uh, and, and a lot of the prophets have them, a couple, a couple of prophets, Obadiah, Nahum, that, that's basically what they are, is oracles against uh, Edom, oracles against Nineveh. Um, but we, we can't lose sight of the fact that those books were written not, and those prophecies actually were not given to announce something to those nations. They were to instruct us, they were to instruct the people of God and give us a sense of, of, of teaching us that about, about God, of showing us the insight. God, um, God ultimately will, uh, cares about power. God ultimately cares about and is involved in em empire and oppression and freedom and, and all of these big issues. And that's not to say that those prophecies were, were really meant to be delivered or, or, or meant to be understood as templates for God, how God works in the world today. So those, that prophetic books were written by people of faith or people of faith. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. I hear what you're, I hear what you're saying. I'm just struggling to try and work through the idea that we've got people who are so certain God has spoken to them and they're leading lots of folks astray. And that's what I'm struggling with. Well, yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, as well as I, there, there, once you begin to, which is why they, they don't like the life of the mind, once you begin to ask questions and prod, then you're testing God because you're touching God's anointed. Better mm. not do this. Yeah. And even there's, you know, some people are really kind of concerned about that. And yeah. it really is. I've seen it in, in a lot of the videos. There really is an antagonism toward being challenged or being questioned. Some just just beginning to poke in a little bit at this thin theology 
because yeah. now you're operating out of your mind, not out of your spirit. So it's, 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 I don't want to say it's a cultish mentality, but it, it, it goes in that direction. Yeah. Don't, don't criticize the leader and what the leader says. Yeah, I have said, I have said to people that if I say something in a sermon on a Sunday and you don't agree with it, come see me. I'm glad to talk to you about it. And uh, yeah, okay. Well, um, so anyway, we are uh, at the end. And Dan Hawk, I just appreciate uh, your time here. And I'm going to post back up uh, on the screen. Uh, there you go. There's Dan's book. Well, he's got more books than that. But these are three wonderful books that he has published. I hope you will take advantage of them because I have read all three of them and they're wonderful. And uh, Dan, uh, I just appreciate your, uh, your assistance and your help in thinking through these things. And uh, no doubt you, uh, you have given lots of thought to that, to this, and I appreciate that. So anyway, uh, so I hope uh, come November in SBL, you and I will get together and see each other uh, in San Antonio. San Antonio, right? Yeah, it is. So I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it there. Any final thoughts you might have for us? Any anything? If you want to say something to the folks in the pew who are watching and listening to all of this stuff, anything you might want to say to us for us to glean. Well, um, maybe just to remind. Um, remind everybody of the um, that anything can be taken into excess. Mm. So, you know, the work of the spirit in our lives, in our world today um, is, is something that I would affirm. And I think we affirm as the church um, and, and the, you know, the, the life of the mind and the, the deep study of scripture also something so word and spirit um but either of those can be taken uh in in extreme directions if they're not really uh allowed to be an interface where our minds uh, and that spiritual part of us uh if they're not integrated if they're not tethered as you put it um you know then we're then we're susceptible on the one hand to a a, a, a biblicism that that makes the Bible the rule book for everybody um, as, as an extreme. So we're, we we get focused on boundaries, and on the other hand, we we can kind of float off into um, in, in, into areas um, that that probably are not faith building <laughs> to be charitable, but. Uh, yeah. Let me just say again, thanks, Alan. You're you're a dear friend. You're my pastor, and and uh, I, um, I appreciate having the opportunity just to to think through some of this. Oh well, thank you. I'm glad. I am honored to be your pastor, and glad to have this conversation with you. And we will uh, have some more conversation because I have more topics I'd like to discuss. But anyway, thank you, my Great. friends. Uh, Dan Hawk, professor of Old Testament Hebrew, Ashland Theological Seminary. Uh, he's got several books written. Please check him, check him out on Amazon. I can tell you he is thought-provoking. 
and he will uh, he will raise some interesting questions about your own presumptions, which is really important for all of us. All right, thank you, everybody. Have a good day. Hey, folks, I'm coming to you from my study at home in the basement. Um, it's a place that uh, I love to be to prepare sermons and uh, Sunday school lessons and to read and write and reflect upon my faith. Uh, it is also the place where I pray and where I read scripture. Uh, I believe uh, that uh, scholarship and um, uh, theological reflection are both very important to the work of ministry in the church. I believe that the head and heart, since they've been created by God, are integrated together. And you just heard my interview today. And uh, if you uh, enjoyed what you heard, and if you found what you heard helpful, uh, let me ask you a question. How would you like to have that kind of depth of conversation about Christian faith on a regular basis? Perhaps you've been sensing a call to pastoral or parachurch ministry or are already serving the church in some capacity as a pastor or layperson, and, and you're thinking that you need to bolster your education. Well, if so, I invite you to consider Ashland Theological Seminary in Ashland, Ohio. They offer traditional in-person classes for that face-to-face -face relational experience, and they offer an online experience for those who prefer to participate from a distance. I received my seminary uh, training from Ashland, and I'm forever grateful for the quality and the depth of learning that I received there. I'm never regretted uh, deciding to attend uh, Ashland Seminary. I love the place so much, in fact, that I've taught as an adjunct professor there for over 25 years. Ashland Seminary believes that the head and the heart, theology and practice are integrated together. Intellectual rigor and spiritual formation are two of the most important hallmarks of Ashland. And so if you are considering theological education, check out Ashland Theological Seminary in Ashland, Ohio. Contact information is uh, available uh, in the details of this podcast. You can also Google Ashland Theological Seminary and easily find their website. I'm offering this testimonial, and I want you to know this, I'm offering this testimonial free of charge because I believe in the mission of Ashland Theological Seminary as it serves the mission of the gospel in the world.